Good morning. I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. If you're with us this morning visiting, uh, we're glad to have you, and so welcome. And for our students, I know our days with you are numbered. Graduation's coming. Exams are finishing. We're glad to have you guys here this morning also. Uh, We're in the middle of a series on the book of Mark. If you'd like to be turning there, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning. You'll find that on page 842 of your Blue Chair Bible. If you need a Bible, there's one under chair somewhere in front of you there. And as we've been going through this first half of the book of Mark, we've been talking about this fact in our series that, that Mark speaks to us of Jesus as the coming of the King, that Jesus is our King. So as we look at each of these passages, we're talking about what does it mean that Jesus is our King and what does that mean for our lives. This morning we'll be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. And before we do, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would speak to us through your word, for it is your word. Uh, We come this morning, maybe some of us, uh, very much uh, expectant that when we open scripture and hear it preached that we would hear from you. Others of us maybe not quite so sure, very skeptical. Lord, amaze all of us. Speak to us where we are. Uh, We are people always in need of your comfort, in need of your instruction, in need of your care. So we ask that you'd bring it to us this morning by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you were here last week, you'll notice that we're, we're, we're skipping a very important story in the Bible. We're skipping the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and so if you want to hear about the feeding of the 5,000, you can go on our website and listen to a sermon from December 27, 2009, where Camper explains it all for us. We did that a few months ago. So we're skipping on into the next part of Matthew chap- or Mark chapter 6. But as we'll say uh, more than once this morning, the feeding of the 5,000 does rest in the background of what we're going to talk about this morning. So Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and that's where we pick up here, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they, saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord, and it's given to us for our good and for his glory. We're going to take a look at it this morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel really, really tired? I'll take that as a yes. Uh, You know, the kind of tired that goes beyond just sort of sleepy, the kind that, you know, a nap, a tall coffee, it's it's just not going to touch. and maybe a tiredness that goes beyond simply your physical need for rest, but, but, but a real and deep spiritual tiredness. Uh, fatigue, maybe, that struggles from the real struggles of following Jesus in this real world. In other words, do you ever feel weary? Do you ever feel weary from following Jesus? Now, I, not, not weary of following Jesus. That, that's, a, that's a different sermon, and um, that happens too. But, but do you ever feel weary from following Jesus? 
Well, that's what this passage is about. It's about a lot of things. It's about Jesus praying. It's about his miracles. It's about a lot of things. But it's about tired, weary disciples. Do uh, you remember the song that this goes out to? This is for all the lonely people. <laughs> this, is, this is for all the weary people. That's, that's what this sermon and this passage is for. Because this passage is, a, is about that kind of tiredness, that kind of weariness, that kind of uh, feeling worn out in our call to follow Jesus, our King. And we're going to see that when we get to that place, when we have that kind of weariness, what we need most is not actually a break from the work of Jesus or from following Jesus. Instead, what we need actually is more of Jesus, our King. So we're going to see that as, as we look at this passage. And, and we're going to talk about here the, the King out of the boat, the King passing by the boat, and the King in the boat. So lots about the King, lots about the boat. First, the king out of the boat. We come here in this story to disciples who are just tired. I mean, they, they are worn out. And, and here's what they've been going through. A chapter or so ago, Jesus has sent the 12 disciples out to go and preach in his name. He sent them out by pairs into the villages and the towns surrounding Nazareth. Uh, we don't know how long they were on this mission for, but they went out and they, they healed and they taught. And then they came back with the expectation of telling Jesus about what had happened and having a chance to rest. And in the midst of their going out as the the um, the gospel writers tell us at this point in the story, they also find out about uh, John the Baptist having been killed by Herod, a faithful follower of God. And they hear this tragic news in the midst of their, of their work. And then they, they come wanting to go away with Jesus and rest. And that's where he's taking them until a crowd finds him, right as the disciples have gathered again. And he looks at me and says, they're, you know, they're like sheep without a shepherd and they're, they're, they want to be fed and they want to be taught. And so he teaches and heals again for an entire day for this enormous crowd. And then at the end of the day, they're tired and hungry. And so Jesus looks at the disciples, these worn out disciples, and he says, you feed them. He breaks the bread and the fish and he feeds the 5,000. So there, they're waiting for rest. It's another long day of ministry. When are they going to get the rest they so desperately need? At the end of this day, Jesus tells him, okay, y'all go to the other side of, uh, the, of the sea, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for a while, and then I'll, I'll come and meet you. So they do that. They go. They start rowing across. Jesus goes up on this mountain to pray, and as he prays, he, he looks out, and he sees them uh, struggling at the oars as they are laboring to get across because the wind is against them. And, and it's in the middle of the night. It says this happens on the fourth watch. It's between 3 and 6 a.m. So after all of this, on top of that, Jesus sends them out to go work, at the row, you know, work rowing across the, uh, the lake all night long. And they're tired. Now, do you ever feel that way in your own following of Jesus? Just weary, like you're beat. Maybe uh, that following Jesus is a struggle. It's hard. And, and you don't even know what Jesus is up to in your life. You don't know what he's doing. And it feels like a lot of struggle. Maybe that comes to you in, in, like this. You're, you're praying for a family member or for a friend to come to faith. And you pray for them for years with seemingly no change and no spiritual interest on their part. And nothing happening and it'd be so easy just to quit, stop praying, and stop being disappointed. Maybe it comes for you in the context of some sort of ministry you're involved in in the church. You know, Lord, help me today to teach these kids in Sunday school without losing patience and yelling at them. Or how about this? Lord, help me to serve and love the people in my home group that are so hard to love and so hard to be patient with and so hard to listen to. 
Lord, give me grace to serve well in the nursery today again because no one else will volunteer to serve in the nursery. Father, help me to be faithful in this ministry you've given me, even if I never get any recognition or kudos for all the work that I'm doing. Help me to do that. Or this, God, help me to speak truthfully to this person in love rather than in exasperation. Or maybe some, maybe uh, day after day, beginning your day with some version of this prayer. Lord, help me to follow you today, to love my family, to be patient, to refrain from returning evil for evil, to work faithfully at my job, to turn my eyes away from temptation. Help. And do you ever wonder if God actually sees you in the midst of all those struggles? As you are trying to faithfully follow, does he know it's going on? Is he even aware of what it feels like and the weariness that creeps in? Well, we see in this passage that in fact he does. Verse 48, Jesus on the mountain praying, looking out in the middle of the night, and he sees his disciples struggling. He sees them straining at the oars. He knows exactly what they have gone through. He knows exactly the condition of their hearts and their bodies and their minds. He sees them and he knows and he responds. It says that he came out to them walking on the sea. And the truth is that God sees your faithful struggling as well. And he sees your faithful attempts to obey. And he sees your not so faithful attempts to obey and everything in between. He is watching. He knows. He knows what you're going through. He sees. And like Jesus looking out, seeing the disciples, not only does God see at the right time, He comes. He comes to us to meet us in our struggle. This first part, the king out of the boat, we see him, Jesus, looking and seeing and knowing, understanding what is going on in the lives of his people, his followers. So we've got the king out of the boat. The next thing we see here, though, is the king passing by the boat. It says that Jesus comes and walks along the sea with the intention of, of passing them by. Now, what, what is going on here? Let me give you a little bit of background. There are two Old Testament stories about people who are weary in ministry that, that, that are the background for this. Okay, the first one is Moses. After Moses has led God's people out of Egypt, he takes them to Mount Sinai, God's holy mountain, and he goes up to the mountain, and he's gone for 40 days, and God gives him... Uh, the Ten Commandments on these two tablets of stone and he comes down to the people and finds that they have made a golden calf and they've given themselves over to idolatry and he smashes, he smashes the tablets of the Ten Commandments in frustration. God calls him back up to the mountain that he might give him new tablets and he speaks to him again. And in the midst of this, uh, in Moses' frustration with the people, but yet he still is interceding for them. God, you've got to hold on to your people. And God is saying this to him, look, these people will not follow me, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you into the promised land with these people, but I am not going with you. You'll be successful, you'll conquer your enemies, go, but I will not go with you. And Moses speaks to God and he says, how can that be? How can that be? Because if the nations of this world hear that you have sent us but don't come with us, what will they think of you? You must come with us. You have to be with us. And God says, I will, of course. And in the midst of that, Moses says, I want to ask for one more thing. Would you show me your glory? Here's what it says in Exodus 33. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness 
pass before you. And I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you will stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. You see, Moses here calling out in the midst of all this struggle with the people and saying, God, encourage me. Let me see you in your glory. And God says, I can't give you that, but I will give you a glimpse of me from behind that I will pass by in front of you so that you will know that I am with you. Now, second story. Not Moses this time, but Elijah. Elijah has um, just come from this incredible showdown with the priests of Baal, this pagan god that God's people have fallen into worshiping. And he feels like he is surely the only one left who is faithful to God. And they have this showdown where they set up two altars, one to Baal and one to the Lord God. And Elijah says to the priests of Baal, call on your God and see if he'll light the fire and he never does. These priests, they, they, they slash themselves with knives. They beat their breasts. They cry out to their god Baal and nothing happens. And then Elijah says to the people there, pour water on my offering. Pour it again. And he calls on God and God sends this fire to consume the sacrifice, showing to the people that God is real and he is the one and only God. And all Baal's priests are wiped out that day. This incredible victory in one sense. But on the heels of that, Elijah runs because he knows he still has enemies, specifically Jezebel, the wife of the king. And he is afraid. God has done all of this. And he's afraid. He runs into the desert. He falls on his face. and He says, God, just let me die because I'm weary and I'm tired of running. God provides for his needs and calls him further on until he journeys and comes to this mountain, Mount Sinai, exactly where Moses was. God calls him up to the mountain. He goes into a cave, uh, and he hears God speak to him there. Here's what it says in 1 Kings 19. Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? For Elijah, like Moses, how does God respond in the middle of their weariness, in the middle of their need for encouragement? He passes by. He comes and he shows himself to them that they might know that he is real, that he is God, and that he has them in his hands. Now, here in Mark, what happens? Jesus looks and he sees the needs of his disciples. And what does he do? He walks out onto the water and he passes by. 
See, when I first read this, I thought, this is one of the, str- the strangest miracles. I mean, because a- everywhere else, the miracles that Jesus does, they're not just simply magic tricks. What's he doing? When he heals, when he, when he calms the storm in the sea, which we saw a few weeks ago, when he casts out the demons from the demoniac, what's he doing? He is giving them a taste of God's kingdom breaking in among them. The, the gospel writers t- talk about miracles as signs. They point to something, the breaking in of God's kingdom. They do something. And yet here you've got... Jesus needing to get to the other side of the sea and it's it just sort of sounds like wow it's the middle of the night and the boat's gone I got an idea I'll just walk across the water uh you know and and that'll that'll be a conve- I don't have a bike that'll be a convenient way to get to the other side it's like this miracle of convenience but the the truth is that's not at all what's happening when he says that that Jesus began to pass them by Jesus is doing exactly what God did for Moses And for Elijah, when they came up to see God on the mountain, well, here we have Jesus on the mountain coming down to where they are to pass them by, that they might see him, that they might know who he is, that they might know that he is with them. And when he comes, this king coming down and passing them by, he says these words to them. He says, it is I. That can also be translated and is in other places in the Gospels. I am. The very words that God spoke when he spoke to Moses. When Moses said, before he went back to bring out the Israelites from Egypt, he says, who am I going to tell them sent me here? And God says to him, tell them I am sent you. That is my name. So when Jesus says, it is I, I am when he goes to pass by, which is what God does for Elijah and for Moses, when he walks on the water which is a, in, in the Old Testament is this poetic picture of God's power. In all of this, he is saying to them, I am your God here for you. And the disciples take that comfort, don't they? They go, there's Jesus passing by. I feel better. I can stay at it. I can keep straining at the oars, right? No. They think it's a ghost. And they're terrified. They scream out to him. And what is Jesus, this God who has come to pass him by, what does he do? He does something that was not given to either Elijah or to Moses. He stops. And he come over, comes over to where they are. And he shows us our last point here. The king in the boat. Not simply passing by, but stepping into the boat where they are. And as he does, the winds cease. Everything goes calm. And he gives them two commands. He says, take heart, or more literally, take courage, be courageous. And then secondly, do not fear. Those are the two things he says to them. Take heart and do not fear. And I think those words came to the disciples and they came and they come to us as well as two things, both comfort and challenge. Okay, here's the comfort of those words. As he steps into the boat, this picture of God in the flesh with them, here he comes and he shows them up close his power, the intimacy of knowing him. Moses, what does he get? He gets a scene from the backside because the glory would have stricken him dead. Elijah, what happens for him? He hears God crashing in the wind and in the fire and in the earthquake and then speaking to him in a still, small voice. But when God passes by this time, he comes right up close. 
in the person of Jesus in a way that they can see and someone that they can touch and feel. Can you imagine that? God, visible, touchable, so that they might know he is with them. God, touchable, and ultimately God, even killable. Because when Jesus comes here, he says, you have the presence of God. And when that very same Jesus goes to the cross and in his suffering and alienation is distanced from God, he does that why? So that we can be brought close. So that whereas whereas Jesus feels the wrath of God, what do we get instead as we trust in him? The undying comfort, acceptance, forgiveness, and presence of God that can never be taken away, never ripped away. We can never fall through His fingers. Because Jesus died for our sins and rose for our life, we will now never know the abandonment of our God. We are safe and saved and accepted and loved by God. Take heart. Don't be afraid. And they get a picture of that in Jesus in the boat. It has come to be a comfort for them and for us. But at the very same time, this comfort also comes to us as a challenge. And here's why. Because these commands, take heart, do not fear, are exactly that. They're they're commands, they're imperatives, they are directions for us. In other words, despair is not an option for the people of God. Not a legitimate option for the people of God. Do you hear that? He calls us out of our despair, even in the midst of our weariness. That means that we cannot indulge that part of us that wants to give in, that wants to give up, that wants to pity ourselves. He says there is no place for that now. Now he says that to these disciples, weary, self-pitying, and despairing people. And he says it to us, often weary and self-pitying disciples of Jesus now. He comes and says, I call you to something else, to take heart, to take comfort, to have no fear because I am with you. And the truth is, this is something that we need to hear often and we need to hear from the lips of other people as well. Because here's part of the challenge is this comes as command and instruction for us. Take heart, do not fear. These two are the words that we are to bring to each other. And maybe you know just how much of a challenge that can feel like. To see a family member, to see a friend who is struggling, maybe feels like their life is falling apart, they're in the midst of difficult circumstances, to come to those people with these words... Christ is with you. He has you. Take heart. If you've ever been in that situation or ever steered away from that situation, maybe you know this feeling where even as those words come up on your lips, they just feel like ashes in your mouth. How can I say that to this person? How can I say it when they're struggling like this? I don't know if I could, if I could hear it if I were in their situation. I have, the, as a pastor, the opportunity to say those words at bedsides, at hospital beds, at emotional struggles, at families falling apart, all kinds of situations. And I too feel like, how can I say these words? And so I know you feel that way. Because when I come into those situations, I'm the pastor like they expect me to say that. 
So even if I fear they're not going to listen or not believe, they at least know it's coming out of my mouth. But that might not be the same situation for you, but I know what that feels like. Are we, though, going to listen to our fears, listen to each other's fears, or are we going to speak the truth of Scripture? Are we going to take what God proclaims to us and speak it loudly and boldly into our lives and into the lives of others? Not as a hammer to break over their heads, but as a comfort and an encouragement and a strength to undergird each other as we come and say these very words, Christ is with you. He sees. He knows. God will never abandon you. He will never forget you. He is mysteriously somehow here, even now, right here in the hospital, right here in what's happened in the middle of your week, right here in the middle of your weariness and disillusionment. He is here. God came and spoke that and showed that to Elijah and to Moses. And he comes and brings that in the person of Jesus to his disciples. And he brings it to us. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voice of despair? Am I going to listen to the voice of despair? Are you going to listen to the voice of God speaking to you in these very pages? I know. I see. I am up to things you can't even fathom right now. One day it will be clear, maybe, but know this. I am here with you. Take courage. Do not fear. Because Jesus steps into the boat with us in all our weariness, in all our struggle. He is there and he has us. Let's pray. Father, we do come and pray, and some of us right now very weary. Would you come and minister to us? Would you come remind us of your presence? Would you give us hope and courage? Would you fix our eyes on you that we might see what is really true and hold on to it and not indulge our fear and not indulge our self-pity and not indulge our cynicism, but have the humility to read these words and to hear what you say, which is that these words are for us in the middle of our struggle, not just for someone else. And so let us have the humility to be comforted by you and by each other as we come and bring the comfort of Christ to each other. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.